Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In part two of our chat with early years expert Daniel Manton Kelly, we are talking about weaning and how to make it easier and enjoyable for little ones and parents. Check out our last episode with Danielle, all about how single motherhood gave her strength. Today, she's talking about introducing first foods for kids. And with four children, she has plenty of experience with this. Danielle's tips include keeping it social, developing your baby's senses, Staying calm and making it fun for everybody. Hi, Danielle. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Hi, thank you for having me. So with four children of very different ages, you must be a bit of an expert on weaning. I guess every stage is different with every child. So what are your top tips for parents? So, um... I've got lots. And the biggest thing I always say before I go into what my top tips are, the more I find that the more children you have, the more you relax with weaning and they tend to get better at it. And people tend to say it's because you're experienced. Actually, I don't think it, I, some of it is that I, I get it. But actually what I think happens is, first of all, you are way more chill about the whole thing because you don't have time not to be. Um, but also it's more social. Um, so that's my first tip is to keep things social. So at the moment, obviously with weaning, with William's weaning journey, he has been surrounded by his sisters. So we've got three older sisters and then obviously he's got me and his dad. So his weaning journey has always been alongside others. So he's always been really fine with eating everything, not fussy, happy to use cutlery. Um, and he just doesn't make a fuss. And I think it's because he's eating alongside others. So my biggest tip is keep it social. Even if it's just you and your little one, if you can eat with them, because when it's just you feeding them, suddenly your entire body language changes and where your eyes are also changes and you're not going to be as conversational. Whereas actually 
if you're eating at the same time, you're not going to rush them because they're going to have to kind of be helped in between your own mouthfuls. And you're also much more likely to be more conversational. So, you know, if you, if you're a single parent and it's just you, then obviously just chat about what you're eating, chat about what it tastes like, but let them see you eating because otherwise, how else are they really going to learn? You know, they, they do learn by doing, but actually they also learn by seeing. So if you're modeling that, you know, you're sat nicely, you're not talking with your mouth full, you know, you're, you're using your fork and, you know, whatever you're using for that meal, they are really picking up on those social interactions and those mealtime cues. It's huge. It's, it's so, so important. Keep it as social as possible. Um, and if you have a partner with you, or if you have family that come over, have those mealtimes together, try really hard not to sort of say, oh, well, I'll feed them first and then I'll eat. Because actually, if you're doing it now, as they get older, as they become, you know, six and seven, and then teenagers, it's no new thing. And it will become such an important part of your day where you are all sat down. And if you don't know what to talk about, we, um, we do this lovely thing. So we used to call it favorite part of the day, but now we do roses and thorns, which is where we speak about um, our roses, which are the good things that happened during the day and our thorns, which are the like less good things. Obviously my two-year-old is not currently getting involved in that, but what he's witnessing is conversation. We're also identifying feelings and emotions and we're talking in past tense and we're mentioning people's names. And so he's actually picking up on body language, facial expression, emotion there's just that moment when you're having dinner is a huge hive buzzing with all of these different developmental kind of moments and you can really you're not even having to try it's huge for them so yeah my biggest tip always is keep it social I'd really agree with you on that I always did that with my kids we always always what well, we still always eat together and yeah. we always did when they were very little, just starting their first food. It's just a lovely thing to do. Yeah, and it's it's such a magical journey. And we we always laugh because, you know, we'll give him new foods and everyone loves, you know, sort of seeing what he's going to be like. And when he's eating them only, he does a new thing. It's really celebrated. And they do, you know, I know I don't want to sort of sound too cliche, but they do say that a family that eats together stays together. And I really do think that that's true. Um, we also have students. And that's a new thing that we've done for this year because, you know, we're, we're going through a cost of living crisis and we want to make sure that, you know, we can save and do things like that. It's been absolutely incredible because what I've seen is my children teaching the students about roses and thorns, the language development in the students. So when you're actually sort of thinking to yourself, is this actually really helping my toddler? I have 16, 17, 18 year olds who are coming in and they're vocabulary and the the way that it develops from when they start with us to when they finish and they always say it's that dinner time that they get the most interaction and they love it so you know I, I just I, I will sing about it and I'll always make sure that we sit together even when they're teenagers it's, it's a sacred time where the whole family is together and you can't put a price on it it's 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 I know there are going to be times when it's not possible but actually just trying to make sure that that is a big part of your routine is huge. Okay, so my next tip, um, and again, I, 
it's so difficult. These these were two. So the keeping things social, obviously, I say is the most important, but actually they're in competition, these tips, because this one is huge and it's about breathing. So weaning can be really stressful. I know lots of people, particularly dads, who cannot stand the mess. And so what they'll often end up doing is only giving their children certain foods or only ever wanting to spoon feed. And while I don't think there's anything wrong in spoon feeding, and I'll get to that in my next one, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be a stressful moment. So it's about recognizing that actually the sensory experience of weaning is not just about helping them learn what they like to eat. This whole thing is about them developing the, you know, all of those senses, the touch, the taste, the smell, hearing them, you know, squelching oranges and mashed potato and broccoli. It's huge. And you need to sort of learn to be comfortable with a certain amount of mess. I also know that people get very stressed and anxious about choking and all of these different things. So basically you've got this melting pot of worry and anxiety for various different reasons. And that can really be felt by the baby, the toddler. And you don't want that for them because we actually obviously want mealtimes to be a really positive, relaxed experience so that they get really positive association. And it's not something where they sort of feel like they're being watched or hovered over. So the biggest thing I say is, is breathe, get those relaxing. Um, my nutritional therapist, Alistair calls them rest and digest breaths. Um, and again, it's one of those things that if you're putting that into practice now, when they're little, it just becomes second nature that when they sit down to a meal before they start cramming it in, they actually take three rest and digest breaths, which I think is, um, we do, uh, in for four, hold for five, out for seven. But it's basically just making sure that you're breathing in, holding it for a few seconds and breathing out for slightly longer than you breathed in for. So anyone who's, who um, is familiar with breath work, you always know that, you know, when you're breathing in, you're breathing in slowly, holding it for a few seconds, but it's that, it's that out breath where you're making sure that it's going on for that bit longer. Um, and what that does is it sends a signal to your brain, not only that you're safe and that, you know, you're not in a flight or a fight or flight moment. Um, and then if you're feeling safe and you know, primitively, there's not a bear coming, <laughs> then you're actually going to digest your food better. And if they're learning to do that too, then they're always going to digest their food better because actually if you're feeling really stressed and anxious, um, so it goes back to caveman days, really. If we felt like there was an imminent threat, then our body isn't going to start digesting because we might need to run in a minute and we might need to use our energy somewhere else. Digesting takes lots of energy. So if we feel in any way stressed or anxious, all those hormones and nice things that are needed to properly absorb all of the nutrients and digest aren't going to be working properly. And that's why, you know, people who eat on the run have a sandwich, you know, while they're still doing their work, they they get, you know, they do end up having issues with bloating and feeling uncomfortable and they're not stopping to properly enjoy what they're eating. They probably don't even remember the taste of what they're eating. So we have to model that not only because suddenly we're going to enjoy that moment more, we're going to be more relaxed, we're going to feel more safe. 
and that becomes second nature to our children. And that's why, you know, they they talk about, um, you know, families who say grace. And there, I know that there are studies that are done about, you know, things like that, having a, a ritual like that, like saying grace. And then, you know, people who don't have as many digestive issues or they don't get heartburn or they don't get this, or they don't, don't get that. You are allowing your body to know that it's safe and you know, you don't have to be saying a prayer. I'm not saying that, but actually to sit and breathe and consider what you're about to eat and then actually enjoy it and enjoy the social element. It's, it works on so many levels. It's so, so important. My, a little add on tip for that though, if you're really anxious and you're finding that you're struggling with worrying about choking and things like that, go on a pediatric first aid course because you'll know what to do. The worst thing about any of that is worrying about what might happen and not knowing what your go-to would be. So if your child is retching, um, actually nine times out of 10, they're just, it's their gag reflex. They're just retching. Babies are designed to have a very, very strong reflex so that they don't choke. So if they've got something in their mouth that shouldn't be there, it'll come straight back out usually but you need to be able to see the difference. What does choking look like? Whereas actually, what is it, you know, has it just sort of like touched a bit that's sensitive and they're just retching? Is it a case that you've given something that they haven't tasted before? And so they're sort of, you know, making that like noise. And um, I, I, I'm not a pediatric first aid consultant, but I've, I've always been sort of told and led to believe nine times out of 10, it's when they're not making any noise that there's the worry. So you, obviously if they're retching, you know, you want to go to them, you never turn around, never leave them to it. Usually they'll then spit the thing out, but it's, it's, it's when they're not making noise. And that's why we go on these pediatric first aid train training courses and we find out what to look for. And we're also told, you know, while you're weaning, never turn your back because actually it's the quietness of them having something obstructing the airway. Anyway, I went down a, I went down a dark path there, but it's really important, especially again, with maintaining that relaxed environment that you know what to do in the event of choking. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the next one was very much about, um, kind of on that same vein of, 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 being able to kind of relax into it, but let them explore with their hands. They're going to get messy, but it's really important. Give them opportunities with lots of different foods where you put the food in front of them and you just let them go for it. Um, and don't get too bogged down with, you know, well, if I'm only doing that, how much are they getting? And should I be doing spoon fed or should I only be doing baby led weaning? Oh my goodness. And I have so many parents who really freak out about choosing one or the other. So what I say is let them have experiences where they can play with the food. If you want to give them a spoon, give them a spoon, they can hold it. They can get used to holding it and do a mixture. Sometimes when you're out, it's going to be easier for you to just give them, to just spoon the food. And that's okay. And while you're at home, if you're feeling like doing some baby led weaning, that's great too. If you're having a bit of a an anxious time, and you want to do a little bit of both, because actually the new food that they're trying, you're just you don't you don't know what they're going to be like, and you want to do a bit, you know, let them explore. You can do both. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. That's your child. 
There, no one has the right to judge whether you should be doing just one or just the other. And so we've always done a massive amalgamation. Sometimes we would give him a spoon and sometimes we wouldn't because actually it might be that we were just about to go out the door and I didn't have the capacity physically or mentally to clean up a massive mess. I just needed to get some food into him and let's go. So it's, you know, it's just balancing. If you, if you know that you're going to have a nice big dinner and everyone's going to be sat around the table, go for it. Let them baby do the baby led weaning. Let them explore. Have a spoon for when you just want to get, you know, get a few more get a few more mouthfuls in while they're exploring. And then you have the best of both worlds. So you you can do both. I, I fully, fully believe that you can. And I've had, I've got four very good eaters and I've always done the same. It's always been a mixture. But as a first time mum, oh my goodness, I really, if I was doing one, I felt bad that I wouldn't be doing the other. And I really put myself down and I was so worried that he would, uh, that she would choke with baby lead, but that if I was spoon feeding, she'd never learn. And actually she eats beautifully and now she cooks dinner for us. So, you know, they all get there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So what age do you think is a good time to start weaning? So I, I always start at about six months, um, Mm -hmm. sometimes a little bit earlier. The guidance is six months. Um, but I would always say find about five or five and a half months that, um, I could see them that they do say, so people are like, oh, they're watching you that, you know, they, they want that. And actually it's not the case. They're watching you because they watch everything that you do. If you were just sat talking, they would have their eyes fixated on your mouth. So it's not always that they're watching because they are desperate to eat what you've got. Usually it's just that they're learning. Um, but actually there are times where you're, you're putting it to your mouth and they're like, ah, and you can kind of see that they're taking an interest. And at that point, so I think most of mine have been six months, but sometimes five and a half where they've had that, oh, I just, I'm so interested in that. And again, it's not a case that I would suddenly put it in their mouth. I might cut some up and, you know, it might be um, a little bit of boiled apple. I might pop a little bit of that on the tray. Nine times out of 10, that first time, it's not even going to end up in their mouth. They, you know, they're going to be squishing it. They might lick their hands and that's all fine. Um, and then, you know, if you did then want to start giving them little spoonfuls, just so you get a little bit extra in, that's fine too. Um, I, so yeah, six months for me, I've always reminded people though, that it's fun until one, their milk is their main source of nutrition, um, until they get to that point. Because again, I know so many parents that get so anxious that they haven't eaten enough, but between the age of six months and one, a lot of that weaning is just about exploration. Um, they're getting their nutrients from their milk. So it's about introducing lots of new flavors, lots of new textures, colors, and smells, and letting them have fun with it. And again, I keep I keep mentioning it, but relaxing into that because the more fun you're having from that, the more fun they will have. They'll feel comfortable to explore and and confident as well. Um, so that's a huge thing for me. But yeah, six months as long as they you know they can sit up and you know, you're following the safety guidelines. I don't tend to do it before again, because I reiterate it's fun until one. So I have no need to really explore food before six months. Um, Also because they, they have other means of sensory exploration with loads of different materials and fabrics and toys and stuff like that. So, yeah. 
I remember it being such an exciting time. I, lo- I loved the weaning part of childhood. I thought it was really good fun. It's, everything, it is lovely. Everything's just new, isn't it? And as you say, it's such a social thing. Yeah. And even if you do get in a terrible mess, it's just you clean up and you start again. It's good yeah. fun. I also think that parents can be very quick to decide that their child doesn't like something. So those those same parents will then come back to me and say, you know, my, my child won't eat that and they won't eat this. And I always, I always say the same thing. Your child's taste buds change so many times before they get to adulthood. So many. And if you're not giving them the opportunity, so you have to imagine that they get a new set of taste buds every day. We look at our children and every so often we'll look at them and think, oh, you've, you've changed again. You've, you've done that thing. Your face has changed. And that happens really regularly. And they haven't, but they have. You, do you know, do you understand what I mean? Oh yes, 100%. You look at them one day and you think, oh my goodness, you don't, you've lost something's different, something's added or gone. You, you just look different. So if you imagine how often that happens, like their taste buds change more often than that. So if you're trying something and they've made like that face, that, again, first of all, that means nothing. That's just a, again, just a reaction. Um, but also if they don't like something one day, that's not to say they're not going to like it the next or the following week or the following month. So the way that we've always done it is just keep reintroducing it. And even with my older children, I will, I've got a few that don't like things like mushrooms. I've got a few that don't like courgettes. I'll cook the food differently. I will cut a little bit off and I'll just say, look, just put it on your tongue. Let it sort of sit there for a bit. Look at the flavor. The texture might be different. And if you really don't like it, then you can, you know, grab a, a napkin, pop it somewhere else. Um, obviously, don't be rude about it. If it's not for you, that's what we say. It's not for me today. And, you you know, just pop it somewhere else or, or if you can, swallow it. Um, and then they are building up a kind of a tolerance. And I'm also not having to cook several different dinners because I also say, if you don't like a thing in the meal, just remove it. Oftentimes, they don't even notice. Um, and it has meant that they found things that they do love, things like olives and onions. And, and you know, when they're like, oh, do you, can, I, can you make the onions? But can you do that thing where they're like gooey and crunchy? And I'm like, oh, you like them to be caramelized. And I'm like, what's caramelized? And you explain. So it's, you know, as they get older, because you've done that thing where you're like, okay, well, I know you don't like these things when they're boiled, but actually if we put them in the air fryer, they're completely different. And you're not going to be able to do that. They're not going to be able to give you that trust if you're not doing that from a really young age where it's like, we're going to try it again. And it's fine if you don't like it. But what if this is the day? There's also a brilliant story um, called... um, well, green eggs and ham. It's not like a new thing, but brilliant. Mm. Read green eggs and ham to your children from like from birth. Make it so they know that book. It's brilliant anyway, even as a standalone. But we always then come back to, well, Sam, I am encouraged, I can't even remember their names now, to try the green eggs and ham. And for the longest time, he said he wouldn't eat it. But what happened at the end of the story? He tried a little bit and now it's his favorite thing in the world. And 
so you can there's there's so many books about you know trying new things like the chicken the chicken eats a hot dog brilliant really funny but again it's about trying something and being part of that experience too getting other people to try things and you're not going to have that if you're deciding very quickly that your weaning age child doesn't like a food it just doesn't work that quickly um and even if they don't like it they might like it in another week or so so just try it again especially yeah. if it's you like as well this is the thing if you've decided that your child doesn't like a thing that you love and then you make a big thing of it you've just set yourself up for a very sad dinner time <laughs> because yeah. you want them to like similar things um and yeah it is uh, definitely makes the way for either not having fussy children uh, fussy eaters or having perhaps a fussy eater that is tolerant and will try and you know you you can't avoid it sometimes especially when they do get to about six things take on another taste and another taste and it can be difficult but it's just patience and and just keep trying you can't ask for more than that can you if they're willing to try then that's that's what you want and that's all you want to build for them is is just that willingness to try because also you've got to bear in mind that eventually they will be having dinner at other people's houses and it's not a case of them eating things they hate because that's awful. I remember going to, um, when my husband and I met, we were only 16 and I remember I don't, I don't really like fish that much. And I'd gone over and she'd got this beautiful, I I think it was place or something. And oh goodness, I'd really, I'm really funny about bones and I, I just ate it, but I was miserable. And actually I should have been able to say before she even started cooking it, fish isn't really for me um I'll I'll try some for sure because I might love it but it's it's just not something I've ever liked um and then you know she wouldn't I wouldn't have had to eat something that I really despised and she would have um not been offended if I hadn't eaten it because I would have pre-warned her um so it's being again it's that articulation as well you know you might find that there's something that they just don't ever like and that's fine um, but then being able to say it politely, because what you don't want is them going over to their friend's house and going, I don't like that, you know, because that's, you know, that's not, it's not great. Um, but there are children that do. Um, but them actually being able to say, oh, I'm not really keen. I'll try a bit, but I don't think I'm going to like it because it's not something I've liked before. Um, actually giving them that articulation is super important. And it's good for other things in life, isn't it? It's a good mantra for everything just to try it and give it a go and see what happens. Yeah, try it and and being able to advocate for yourself as well. And and yeah, I think it's it's just important. And again, it just goes back to all the lessons we learn at the dinner table. It's it's just, yeah, that you could talk about it for days. It's the biggest opportunity for I think many, 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 many types of brain development. <laughs> yeah. So what about first foods? Did you do you kind of I remember mashing p- potato, sweet potato, yeah, and doing kind of ice cube trays and freezing them and taking out one or two cubes, depending on how how big they were, how much they needed. Did, did you do that kind of thing? Yeah, I did. Although I always found that I would I'd get into the weaning journey, my ADHD would take over and I'd hyper-focus on making all these lovely purees and um, popping them in the ice cube trays. And then I just never managed to keep up with it. Um, and actually, as we sort of had went on and had more children, I didn't worry about doing that so much. I would just tailor 
whatever I was making for the rest of the family. So say for instance, if I was making a bolognese sauce um, and he was at the point where he wasn't yet eating meat, I would take the ingredients that um, that I was using for the base of the sauce and I would make a puree with whatever was appropriate. So the onions, the carrots, um, and then it kind of just went on from there really. So I would always just make a William friendly version of whatever we were having. You know, it might be that I took his out before I added stronger flavors or seasoning. Um, I, I, I'm terrible really, but I do use seasoning in my children's food. I, I use Himalayan rock salt, a tiny, tiny bit, um, which I think is quite controversial, but I don't use table salt or anything like that, but just a little bit of Himalayan rock salt because I know that, you know, it's packed full of lovely minerals, but never for, you know, if they're under six, you know, this is for when they get a little bit older. Again, tiny little sprinkling if I'm making uh, a bolognese or, um, you know, a korma or something like that. Um, because again, I'm teaching my older children what, what we're doing with different herbs and spices and seasoning and what makes things have flavor and, and actually the telltale signs of when they are eating something that perhaps might not be so good for them and why it tastes really good. And, and usually it's because it's got a shed load of salt in it or loads and loads of butter. So it's about kind of enhancing their like taste experiences really. But yeah, for, for the little ones with the big family, I do think it's, it's a lot more, it becomes more intuitive to just make versions rather than slaving away over different pots of puree or maybe amalgamating the two, you know, it's always handy to have something in the fridge. I also, I don't demonize, um, getting the odd pre-prepped meal. I'm careful with what I'll use. Um, and you're obviously making sure and making sure of those salt levels and making sure that what's going in there is organic and lovely, but you know, there are some really great ones out there and you're not a failure if, if, you know, one day you need to use one, like they make life incredibly simple. I will have either um, different things that I've made for him in the freezer, but I'll always have a tray or something on standby for him um, because sometimes we might be eating something that's just not appropriate for him. So um, he, William specifically is like a real hoarder and he finds um, different meats quite difficult. So if we're having burgers one night and I know that actually he struggles with cucumber and he struggles with the meat and he struggles with the salady stuff, I'm just going to give him one of those and I'm not going to stress about it because tomorrow's another day. And I'm also not going to make my family miss out on having like really yummy burgers that I've made, you know, because that's not fair on them. So just balance. It's okay to make, you know, if you find that making the puree is great, great, keep going. Um, but actually I found that just giving him a tailored version of what we were having was much, much more helpful. Mm, that is good. Yes. And what about drinking? Do you think did, should children be able to drink from an open cup? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All day long. Massive advocate for this. So um, we use the Munchkin Sailor V range. Um, I love them. So I am always really keen to make sure that children, whether the, even if they're sipping from uh, like a sippy cup or something with a straw, even if they're using something like that, it's just really important to make sure that the, I say child to cup ratio, um, isn't too daunting. And the great thing about the say la vie, uh, not, yes, yeah, so not say la vie. I keep calling it that because I'm a not child of the nineties. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, the say silicone cups, 
you can use a straw. So you can encourage the, um, the sucking motion, but it's mostly about the sipping. So you can go between, but the brilliant thing about them is the size, their child size, because actually if you were to take that your child's bottle and take something that sort of, um, had the rate, the same ratio, you would be drinking out of like a plant pot or a bucket. Like it's when you actually look at the size of their hands and the size of their little tummy, it's too big. It's too heavy. Um, so a lot of people are really deterred from open cup feeding because they are thinking about their child drinking from an adult size cup. It's not that at all. The, um, say silicone are really little. They, are fit for purpose in terms of their sizing. They've got a weighted bottom so that, you know, they might get knocked over, but it's unlikely because they are made to stay upright and they just, they're ergonomic. And so having something that is helping little ones and you can cup feed from, from four months. A lot of people don't realize, but you can, and it's really, really good for them again, because it's encouraging the sipping more than a a sucking motion, which they're going to need. so I've done that with three of the four because when I had my first daughter, I was only young and I, I didn't know the benefits of getting children to drink from an open cup from a really young age. Um, I quickly realized and then made sure that my other little ones did and they drink so well. The great thing about that is wherever we are, I know they can get a drink. It, does, it doesn't phase them that, you know, I give my two-year-old, and this is, again, this is going to sound really controversial, but if we're out at a restaurant and there's glass, I let him drink from the glass. He's mm-hmm. not, like, we've practiced at home. I know that he's going to be fine. If he tips it, he tips it, it's water, it will dry. It, you know, all I need to do is change his nappy, maybe change his clothes. It doesn't matter. Um, and that's why we use the training cups because it's such a small amount that if they do spill it, it's not a big thing. Um, but yeah, it just means if we're out and about and I've forgotten to bring something for him, which bear in mind, ADHD mum, it happens. He can drink from anything and he can drink well and it, it doesn't phase him. I'm not having to, you know, he's not choking on the water because it's coming too fast. He's just there happily sipping away. Um, so yeah, massive advocate for open cup, open cup feeding as soon as possible. Um, especially when they're weaning, just having, um, you know, that drink there that they can, they've got the, and, 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 and I can't say the word they're in control. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the autonomy. Autonomy. I think it's like anonymity. Like that's the wrong word. Yeah, definitely. And they can see the drink as well. You know, it's not hidden. Mm. Everything everything can be so hidden from children so much of the time Mm. without us realizing it, but actually them being able to see that they've run out and they need more. So William will drink from the open cup and then he'll say, oh, more, more, mortar, more, mortar. Like he can't say water yet for some reason, but he'll hold it up and he'll see, or he'll see when it's low. And he's able to be a, to predict that he needs more before it's even empty. Like you don't get that from a sippy cup because you can't no. see inside of it. So yeah, I, I love it's, them. It's Big, all good skills. Yes. So it's been so useful. Thank you for all of your tips. They're fantastic. So what would be the one piece of advice you'd give to somebody who's just starting out on weaning and feeling a little bit anxious about it? So the biggest one I would say that kind of encompasses everything that we've spoken about is preparation is key. Preparing with a paediatric first aid course, 
preparing with things that will help keep your 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 floor clean so high chair mats nice long bibs that have got the you know the sleeves nice hot flannel for washing the face that's going to feel nice on your hands it's going to feel nice on their hands and face you're not going to be wasting wet wipes so preparation preparing yourself with the breathing preparing them with the breathing and if you can be doing that you're preempting any issues and you're already tackling them before they've even arisen and you're always going to have a really relaxed happy weaning journey just take the pressure off relax into it prepare and enjoy that's wonderful thank you so very much it's great to talk to you danielle great to talk to you too you can read more about danielle on the birmingham live website and on the brummy mummy's facebook page follow her on instagram and tiktok as the enchanted nanny be sure to listen to her earlier episode about single motherhood too please share this episode with anyone who may find it useful Follow Brummy Mummies on social media and sign up to our free newsletter. See you next time.